I saw all these kids walking by with coffee cups. Parents, are you giving them coffee to drink? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm asking you. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. I asked that kid, I said, are you drinking coffee? He was like, and he just kind of gave me that look. Well, I'm glad that you are all here. We celebrate an incredible day. Um, obviously, Mother's Day. I had um, two years ago, I lost my mom around this time. Uh, she was a very influential woman in my life. Um, someone that's still dear to my heart. In fact, um, as, as you already know, my parents were from Italy, and when my mom spoke English, it was fun because uh, there were words that came out that we just had to have fun with her, and typical son will make fun of mommy just in a good way. But uh, I do that with my kids now. I kind of use her accent, and we have fun with it. And my wife keeps saying, man, you got her to a T. So we have some fun with that, and, uh, and it kind of, what it does, it, it keeps me close to her in a sense, you know, that, I'm, that she's there because... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a time, so when, this is my second Mother's Day, actually my third now, where um, she's, not, she's no longer with me and, and our family. So, so it's a special day, it's an influential day. And we've been talking about, we're in the second week of our sermon series entitled, We Are, God, you know, Christ, uh, Grace Church. And what we were talking about is we are Christ's church as well as Grace Church. And what we were talking about last week was that we are priceless. We were talking about Cornerstone. We were talking about the chief cornerstone, that he was priceless to the Father, and we are priceless in Christ. This week, we're going to talk about how we are influencers. And so it's important for us to, um, to ask those questions and, and just, just to think about what does it mean to be influenced. Well, when I asked myself the question the other day, I said, who influenced me growing up? And uh, I got to be honest with you, man, it was Rocky Balboa, you know what I mean? Like, when I, when, when, when I went to the first movie, and we were down in the city of Stanford, and we went in there, I'm telling you, when I went in, I came out different. Because when we came out, it was like, yo, Adrian, you know, it's like, whoa, like, I'm Italian, man, I'm proud to be an Italian. I mean, when they were showing all those Italians jumping up and down in the ring and in the, in the stadium, I mean, we were coming out, jumping up and down, and I was eight years old, and I just thought I was all big, and I was just coming out, and I was like flexing. I had nothing to flex, but it was like eight years old. I was just so, I was just excited, and just growing up and, and, and seeing that, how it influenced me. Um, as, you know, as an Italian-American, and it was just really cool. But, you know, I asked the question, um, who influenced you? How do you influence people in your life today? Do you influence people in a positive way? Sometimes we could even influence people in a negative way. Is that possible? How do you influence if you have a spouse? How do you influence your spouse? If you're, if you're not married and you're still at home or if you're a teenager or a young adult or if you're on your own, how are you influencing family members? Parent, how are you influencing your children? Are your words and your actions influencing them in a positive way? Now, this in no way asking these questions are to de determine in any way in your life you're supposed to be perfect because I fail every time in the way I could even influence my children. I fail at times when I can influence my spouse. I hope it to be positive, but sometimes it can be negative. And influence is important in our lives because as we think about 
you know, a list of people that were, were, were listed in, the, in, in Time magazine of the top 100 people that are influential. Um, obviously, they're going to put political figures, our president, our, you know, Congress people, our congressmen and women, our, you know, the, the people in the Senate, the president of Russia, the president of China. They have artists, actors, musical artists. And I asked that question, who do we want to influence our children? And who are we going to influence as a people of God? As the church, we are to reach those who are far away from God. As a church, our purpose is to make disciples. Who are we going to influence and within our context? If we're going to influence anyone, I believe it's going to take a relationship. I believe that this is a a building that we come together here on Sunday. There are walls up. It's a nice setting. It's a place where we can worship God. But it's not the building that's the church. We're to be the church. And to be the church, as I mentioned last week, we're the new temple. And the temple that God resides in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to go wherever we go and make a difference and influence people around us. Whether it be that person at work who you can't stand, you have to go over there and get a cup of coffee and and you know that you can't stand them and you're like... uh, Did they leave yet? Because you're ready to get up and get your coffee. You're hoping they'll leave. Or, you know, there's the water cooler discussions, and you just hope you never come in contact with that person. You even hope that that maybe someday they'll move or they'll get fired. You even put it in your prayer a little bit, but you did it in a nice way. Oh, Lord, I just pray you'll help them find another better job. And so you'll work that out. But yet I ask the question, how can you influence that person who you don't even like? How are we to influence people all around us? And when I think of influential characters in the Bible, I think of Paul. See, Paul was, he was, he was one who wanted to, he was a maverick in one sense, but he wanted to revolutionize the church. He traveled thousands of miles, ready to do what God called him to do. And I asked that question, do we want to revolutionize God's people? Do we want, or, you know, the people, or God's people, but also the people around us, do we want to revolutionize our neighborhoods? Do we want to revolutionize teenagers, our schools? Do we want to revolutionize people who we know desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so as we ask those questions, I think of Paul, and I think of who Paul is and what he's done, because in the New Testament, outside of Jesus, he's the most influential character of all the New Testament. So I want you to just please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to give you a little bit of a background here. So we have Paul who, is, who originally traveled 100 miles from Philippi in Asia Minor. Now I don't know about you, but thinking about 100 miles, uh, I think that's, as I calculated, I believe that's to Baltimore and back. So can you imagine walking 100 miles? Y'all don't even want to walk 10 steps to get your coffee, but you walk 100 miles. Can you imagine you have to walk 100 miles to a city that you know you're not going to be received well? I mean, if I already told you you don't want to go to the coffee pot to the person you don't like at your job, can you imagine traveling 100 miles to a people who can't stand you, who hate you, who want 
you to be done with whatever you're doing. And see, here's what he's doing. He's traveling 100 miles, and he's, he's on a second missionary journey. He was brutally mistreated in Philippi, traveling from Philippi to Thessalonica. However, we are aware that the Lord's deliverance in the midnight hour, God's going to work it out. He's going to work it out in your favor in the midnight hour. He did that for Paul. He worked it out in the midnight hour in Acts 16. And in fact, the Lord used Paul and Silas to lead a jailer and his household to faith in Jesus Christ. How influential he was when he was incarcerated in a jail, ready to possibly be killed. God intervened, delivered him by the impossible, so that he could travel 100 miles to a people who couldn't stand him. Now, that's a man who believed that God had a mission for him. And so here he is now, influential in the life of this jailer and their family, and now he's about to approach Thessalonica. Now, as you put your finger there in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, we have to go to Acts 17. So just, this is the narrative, this is the background. We have to understand what's happening here. So in Acts 17, it says this. It says, now, when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He's reasoning with the Jews who did not like him with the scriptures. Explaining and proving, that is, was, was it necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying this, whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a great many of a devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So here he was leading, God used him to lead Jews, Greeks, and some women. And these were Greeks that were called Hellenistic uh, Greeks that were proselytes. And they were Greek-speaking Jews. They were people that were, were of the background but moved in this so-called religion around them of Judaism. But they were Greek-speaking Jews from the dysphoria. So the cultural aspect was that what we saw in Acts 6, Verse 1, when the Hebrews and the Hellenists were arguing over that the widows were being neglected. So they had to change the parameter of ministry at that time. They chose men full of the Spirit to move out to pray and be about the Word of God in ministry. Now it goes on further in verse 5 of chapter 17 in Acts. It says, but the Jews were jealous. And taking some of wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down. Now, wait a minute. I don't know about you, but I would love for someone to call me saying, this dude is turning the world upside down. I don't know about you, but if my faith can be revolutionary, I would want God to use me in such a way. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I ask God to do it, it's going to be painful. 
And when I ask God to do it, it's going to be life-changing for me. And if I ask God to do it, there's going to be some disappointments. But I want God to use me to do about and saying, I want to turn this world upside down. But the question is, am I ready? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you ready? Because I'm ready. I'm serious. But it's going to be a lot of pain. Paul was willing to do that. He did it. And here it goes on to say this. And Jason had received them. That tells you God's doing a work in Jason. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. That's what they shouted out. So they were trying to get Rome to stop Paul from doing what he was doing. But the problem was the Jews had a problem with Paul, not Rome. Rome didn't even care. It wasn't an issue with the government or the empire. It wasn't a civil issue. It was a religious issue. And Paul said, I'm a citizen. I'm innocent. So they couldn't do anything with Paul. So they're yelling out, trying to deceive the people, but it didn't work. And it says, and the people, verse 8, and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken the money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. They couldn't, get, they couldn't claim anything against them. The Jews were enraged, formed a mob, attacked the house of Jason. The Jews were influencing them negatively toward the church and the gospel. They used the Roman government as deceptive strategy to cause the Jews to join their mob. Many of the Jews and false teachers are questioning Paul's apostleship and leadership. See, what makes a false teacher a false teacher is half-truths. When Jesus told the demons to shut up, it's because they were speaking half-truths. If anything my child and my children know, my son knows even, as I cannot stand when you don't tell the truth. Tell me the truth or don't tell me anything at all. When they were younger, I used to say to them, listen, you tell me the truth, I'll cut your discipline in half. Because, you know, I would tell them, and they'd be like, and they would just start blurting out all the truth. I said, okay, so you're still getting your discipline, and I walk away. No, but they would kind of, they would start sharing the truth. My son's like, nah, that's not the truth. But here's the thing. Why? Because Satan is the, he's the father of lies. Jesus is truth. Holy Spirit is truth. The Father's truth. The Word of God is truth. I want the truth. And see, false teachers were accusing Paul that he was misleading the people of God, that his so-called religion of the way was misleading and deceptive, and they needed to get and stay away from Paul. And what they would see is that Paul would go through struggle and difficulty and trial and be thrown into jail. And how many of you would follow people who have been thrown into jail? Today, if we saw someone thrown into jail, we, the first thing we do is we need to pray for them. What are they doing wrong in their lives? They were, they were arrested. Paul was arrested often, and yet God continued to care for him and deliver him. He delivered him out of the midnight hour. He delivered him from a place of impossibility. And that's what God is trying to tell Paul here. So as we look at this, and we have to understand, is Paul didn't allow any of this to deter what he was to do. He was called of God with a purpose, and he had to travel around to do it. So today, how are we going to be true influencers for Christ? How are we going to be influential in the lives of others? Well, first, I want to share this with you. I think Paul was first influenced by God. And so we understand that he was influenced by God. If you're looking at your worship guide and your outline there, we are influenced by God. And see, he started because God has engaged Paul and us with his son. See, when 
influence has to begin, it has to begin a relationship. And as it begins in relationship, Paul started his relationship with Christ to the Father, and now God has engaged you and I, or those who are in Christ, through his Son, with the blood of Christ, to be able to have a relationship. And so God is engaging with him. Now look with me here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now let me stop there, because we've got to stop, start at the first word, for. In the Greek, it's an explanatory, we call gar in Greek, that goes back to the previous chapter. Now, when we go back to the previous chapter, keep your finger there in verse 1, we're going to go back to verse 9 of chapter 1. I'm going to read this. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and wait to his, for his Son for, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now let me stop there. In verses 9 and 10, we see three phases of salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Watch. They came and turned to God, repentance. Verse 10, and they wait, which is sanctification, for the coming of the Lord. You and I in our sanctification and our walk with God, when we trust in Christ, we're walking with him. When we walk with him, the Holy Spirit is with us to lead us and guide us. When we submit and yield to the Holy Spirit, we're waiting for the second coming of Christ. We then are obedient to God. It motivates us to move in our sanctification, knowing that he's promised he'll come back. If everything he's promised has come true, 500 uh, prophecies that have come true, I think the fact that he's coming back, he's going to come back. It's going to be true. And if it's going to be true, that means it motivates me to walk in godliness. It motivates me to be obedient to God because his son is with me, his spirit is with me, and I want to honor the father. So when I honor the father, that means I submit to the spirit. And when I submit to the spirit, I'm engaging in relationship with God. And then God begins to influence me, transform me, and change me. You and I will never make a difference for God unless we're engaging ourselves with God. And if we don't have a relationship with God, we sure enough can't expect God to do any kind of work in our lives. It's kind of like a 30000 salary with a million-dollar house mentality. You can't get a million-dollar house when you're only making $30,000. The bank won't give you the money. When Jesus left, the Holy Spirit was deposited in us. See, with him, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So that's the beauty of that God wants to engage with us as we engage with him. Now look with me too now at verse 1. It says, for you yourselves know. The word know in the Greek is perfect active, which means it's a past action with continuous results. God is doing the active work, meaning Paul's saying, as you know, because I know, you know me, and I know you, and I know you love God now, and you know I love God because I've shown it to you. Don't listen to these people who are saying that I don't love God because I do. And you know that, and I know that. How do we know that, Paul? Because you know I love Jesus. And he saved me. He called me with a purpose. Therefore, you should know that. But what they know is that he loved them in relationship because God loved Paul in relationship. You see that connection. It's so important. You have to see that, that it continues. You and I can continue relationship with all the people around us. 
You can have a relationship with your brother and sister in here, and you can have a relationship with people outside. God will have your back as you're going through that. But as we look at that, we have to understand how important this is, because here's where the last part of that verse is. He says, you know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, because people came to faith in Christ. The word vain means to say you're being purposeless, but in this case, he's saying you're not purposeless, you have a purpose. And so vain in the Greek means empty. Paul didn't have his own agenda. He wasn't going with his purpose. He was going with the purpose that God called him to. Number two, God has empowered us to tell others about Jesus. God has empowered us to tell others about Jesus. Let me share with you what Paul and Silas went through in Philippi before he came to Thessalonica. Let me just share a few things. They were beaten physically, incarcerated, falsely accused, illegally punished because they were Roman citizens, accused of civil treason, physically intimidated. And here, I don't know about you, but if I knew I had to go through all that, I would think twice about going 100 miles to Thessalonica. The only thing that carried Paul was that God delivered him. And the only thing that carried Paul was that he that he knew that God was doing a work in him. And he also knew that God empowered him for a purpose. And see, the, the idea is that whenever we understand that whatever we're going through in our lives, God is saying, no matter what you go through, I'm going to empower you to speak. I'm going to empower you in your situation. Because it's who we are in Christ that empowers us. It's who we are. We may not like it. You might be an introvert and you're saying, I really don't like talking to people. I'm an isolated individual. I like being at home or in a room. Go hang out at Starbucks. Don't let anybody talk to me. If someone looks at me, I just look the other way. Don't want to engage with you. Don't want to lock eyes with you. I don't want to do anything with you. Let me have my coffee. Let me stick in there in my computer. Look around and go like this. Nobody look at me. I'm working. And you don't want to have any engagement. That's okay. But God, what if God were to say to you, I just want you to reach one person? Just one. Can you imagine just a relationship with one person. And if you would pray on that, ask God to use you and make a difference and saying, God, you've influenced me. I want to influence someone else. What could be amazing? If there's 150 people in this room, each one would reach one. Three, another 150 would be impacted. You would influence someone's life and we would double our numbers just by each person getting involved. In fact, I think that's what God wants. I can't reach the people that you reach. I can't talk to the people that you're talking to. I don't know your neighbor the way you know your neighbor. I don't know your coworker the way you know your coworker, but God can use you to do that. And when you can make a difference by just being influential just a little bit, God can use you to change a life. And God wants to do that with all of us. So it's important, but here's where he says this. He says, he said he came with courage. It says this in verse two. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in, at Philippi, which I just mentioned, as you know, here we go again, as you know, verse 2, we had boldness in our God to declare you the gospel of God in the midst of, of much conflict. Now, the word bold or courage there, there's another, it means fearless. It means one can express oneself 
freely. Have you ever thought that when you're at work and you're not sure, you're in your neighborhood and you feel like you're in a straitjacket, you don't want to share Christ, you don't want to share Christ because you feel, you feel like you're in bondage because you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, you're afraid that God won't give you the words? When you're empowered by God and he gives you the boldness and, the fear, and to be fearless and to be bold, he sets you free. So you have the freedom to be able to express yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're feeling like you're tightened, have you ever felt tightened whenever you're around someone, when you have to share Christ? Someone came to me after the first service and saying, thank you. Thank you for that message because it's been tough at work. I haven't been able to share. But the message today reminded me I need to continue to, to get opportunity to share. I need to know that I'm an influence in my workplace. And she, she told me, she says, I'm going to continue to share the gospel through my life. It's hard, but I'm going to do it. And the beauty of it is that when you're set free, it doesn't matter what comes your way. It doesn't matter what difficulties in your life. It doesn't matter what challenges. Because look what Paul said there. He said this. He said, to declare you have the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. The word conflict in the Greek is agone, where we get agony, pain. Haven't got time for the pain. I don't have time for it because you and I, when we're in pain, the first thing we do, we look in the cabinet and say, where's the anvil or a leaving pain? And you're getting on that pain and you don't like it. And you're trying to find something to relieve the pain. And God's saying, I want to teach you that even in conflict and difficulty and trial, when you're, when you're sitting there and you feel like your head's going to blow off of your body and you just feel like you can't handle anymore, God's saying, I got you. I got you. It's okay if you have conflict. I'm going to get you through the pain. I will empower you and set you free. The idea of power in the Greek is dunamis, dynamite power. God will give you that power. He'll give me that power to do so. So now, the third thing, too, is that God has entrusted us to tell others about Jesus. Let's look now at verse 3. We've got to unpack this a little bit more. Verse 3. It says this, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Now watch, let me stop there. Paul, again, with these false teachers, Paul's making a defense of his apostleship. He's saying, I'm a man of truth because I stand in the truth. I'm in Christ. And see, Paul, what he's saying is that I'm here to exhort you. That word appeal is exhortation, or we know as parakaleo in the Greek. It means to exhort, to encourage. I mean, he's telling them, I am not one of these false teachers. I'm not one for, for what he listed as error. It means wandering from the truth. He's not wandering from the truth, for he's standing in the truth. Jesus is truth. The Father's truth, Spirit's truth, the Word of God is truth. In fact, the Spirit, or the Father called him through his Son. So he's not wandering from the truth. Secondly, impurity means immorality or moral corruption. He's not doing that, but yet these false teachers were living a life that were corrupt, immoral. And yet they were living as false teachers because they weren't living in relation. He's telling them, too, I'm not a man of deceit, taking advantage through craft and underhanded methods. That's what it means in the Greek. He's not doing any of that. But here's what he says. This is what I'll tell you, though. But just as we have been approved by God... The word approved means it's in the perfect passive, God doing it, God approving him. It's to mean to make a critical examination of something to determine genuineness. Now, 
Let me tell you something. You and I are not called to do ministry on our own. We're not called to do this walk on our own with Christ. God chose us. He approved us. You may not feel approved. You may not sense that you're approved, but God's already approved you. He's approved Paul. He's approved you because guess what? When you're in Christ, he looks at Jesus. He doesn't look at us. And when he sees Jesus, then he's saying, I got your stamp of approval right here. I've already examined you, and I'm going to examine you. I'm going to test you, and I'm going to make sure that as I test you, I will see that you're going to do what I've called you to do. I'm going to make you into the image of my son, because that's the purpose of the believer. And when the purpose of the believer is to grow, even under examination, God is growing each one of us to the likeness of his son. So he's already approved you. So if you're questioning, when you're looking at your life and saying, man, I don't know. There's times where I struggle. I don't even know who I am. I fall into sin. I fall into struggle. Just know that God's approved you. But now the relationship is, though, it might be severed. Now watch now. You can be approved of God, but struggle walking with God. And as you struggle walking with God, he allows you to, and he shows you, you must confess your sin and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when you're confessing, then you're coming back into relationship with God and you're walking with him. As he continues to examine you and I, we walk with him. And then you know you're approved. So when you feel like you're not approved, know that God has already approved you. But the relationship is what draws you to him. And as you draw in close relationship with God, and when you go through struggle and difficulty and trial and God delivers you, then you can be used influentially with another person. So when they're struggling, going through the trial and the difficulty, you can disciple them and counsel them and encourage them through it because God has delivered you and you can then speak to them and say, you're approved by God. You have to understand that. But Paul was approved specifically, too, for a mission. And it says further to say this. It goes, he was approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And so when you and I have the gospel, we're entrusted to share it with someone else. We're entrusted to share it with the work people around us. We're entrusted to share it with those at work. God is asking each one of us because entrust means uh, oneself is to be of complete confidence. So when you're walking with God, you gain confidence. When he's examining you, then you draw close to him when you submit. And here he goes on to say this, that he says, but he goes like this. He goes, so we speak not to please man, but we please God who tests our hearts. So if you and I are empowered and then we are entrusted, then we're called to share the gospel with someone. And God will examine our heart, therefore, for that. So as you look at that, so if God is engaging in us and we're influenced by God and we're empowered by God and we're entrusted with this gospel, then we are supposed to influence others. We are to influence others. If you look at your outline, we are to influence others. And how do we influence others? Well, let's look at verse 5. For we never came in with words of flattery, as you know. Here we go again, as you know. Nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. God examines my heart. God tests me. God is my witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether for, from you or from the others. 
though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. I mean, Paul says, I can use the trump card. I can use the boss card. I'm an authority by God as an apostle. He goes, but what kind of influence could that be? Tell me something. I don't know if there's parents here. How many of you as parents know you can influence your kids by using the boss card all the time? Can you? I mean, does it really work? I mean, sometimes it has to. Sometimes we have to recalibrate our children when they get offline. But I'm just saying that when we have to use that particular boss card, does it really work? When does it really work? When we engage in relationship with our children, we ask questions. We get to know them. I know they don't like being around us. We're not cool. They're embarrassed. My son's like, Dad, you're embarrassing me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm embarrassing you again. But it seems like every time I'm with you, I'm embarrassing you. But why? Because I'm older. I'm not as cool and hip. You know, I don't know the lingo. I have my lingo from 30 years ago. And then I have my handshakes from 30 years ago. And everybody looks at me and says, dude, where you come from? But anyway, but the idea is that I want to influence my children. And I want to try to do all I can. But I got to do it in relationship before I do it in the boss card. And sometimes I got to use the boss card because they don't listen. Huh? I didn't listen, Dad. I didn't hear you. They use that. They put the music to there. I didn't hear you, Dad. What did you say? So I'll give you what you say. I'll tell you right now. I'll give you what you say. Get over here right now. Don't you try to play that game with me. My son messes with me all the time. He, like, he gets a giggle at it. No. <laughs> and he said, I'm a, you know. But the idea is that we're never going to influence in just position alone. Paul knew that. This was one way in which he influenced. This was one way which we know that he influenced. He influenced in gentleness. See, Paul influenced these Thessalonians by loving them as a mother does. It says in verse 7, it says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, let me be honest with you. I grew up with a very stern, strong father, yelling, angry, always frustrated. I understood. He came from Italy. He didn't speak English. He couldn't get with our culture. He didn't understand. He would yell and scream a lot, and it was tough. But my mom, who was an incredible mom, was gentle, was kind, would calm him down, and would show me and picture to me what gentleness looked like. Oh, I knew what it was to be masculine and frustrated, but I didn't understand what gentleness was. When I first read this as a Christian, I'm like, I don't know why Paul's getting a little feminine there. I'm I'm not following this gentle like a nursing mother. This doesn't make sense. But as I began to just sense the love of God and the gentleness of God and the beauty of God, when I messed up, he didn't yell and scream at me. He loved me. And when I failed him, he still loved me. But when I was failing here on earth with my earthly father, unfortunately, he was yelling and screaming. And God showed me that gentleness of love. And I saw it in my mom. And the beauty of God so moved me that I started to realize that I can open up. I recall of a time, three months in the Lord. And I got, you got to understand something where I come from. Um, I was around, unfortunately, and you're going to hear about this. I was around a lot of drugs, influential drugs and drinking, and a lot of kids and a lot of teens who were messed up, one of them being my brother. And in three months in the Lord, I'm in a room on my knees crying like a little baby, just all out crying on the ground before God because he's, he's cleansing me of my sin. Three months in the Lord, my brother walks in and goes, yo, what are you doing? I said, I'm confessing my sin before my God. I've never emotionally cried prior to that. When I came to Christ, all I did for six months was cry. 
because God was cleansing me. He was showing me this gentle love and the beauty of God. And that's what Paul was doing. Paul, as strong and masculine as was, he knew God's gentle love, and he showed that, and he transferred and influenced the lives of these believers in Thessalonica. And Paul was able to do that, and relationships are best navigated in gentleness. And boldness doesn't mean insensitivity. You can be bold and speak in love. You can speak the truth in love. Boldness is not the problem. But we as a people of God need to be gentle. And it's important. You know, I came across a movie, Stepmom, um, a movie that was uh, an interesting movie. Susan Sarandon, Julia Roberts. Um, Susan Sarandon plays the part of a woman who was divorced to her husband. And three years after the divorce, um, what happened was Julia Roberts was going to become the new mom for her children. And Susan Saran, who was playing the part, did not like that very much. She was setting, she was pinning her kids against the so-called new mom to come. And the new stepmom, Julie Roberts, was trying to reach out to her new stepkids, and the stepkids didn't have it. They gave her a hard time. They didn't like her. They hated her. It was so hard on Julia Roberts, she didn't know what to do. And it was at a point one time where Susan Sarandon was setting up a diabolical plan to call her out and even say, why do you want to marry to her ex-husband? Why do you want to marry this woman? Look what she's doing to our kids. There was one episode where she lost her son. The son got, ran off and she wasn't able to keep the stepson. And so it was, it was an ugly relationship. Anger and frustration was happening. But then Susan Sarandon, in the part that she was playing, that person was diagnosed with cancer. A terminal cancer. So now everything changed. And I want to show you a clip from the movie of when now Susan Sarandon had to cooperate gently with this woman, uh, Julia Roberts. And it's such a great, great episode. And I want you guys to just see this really quick. I never wanted to be a mom. Well, sharing it with you is one thing. Carrying it alone the rest of my life. Always being compared to you. You're perfect. <laughs> they worship you. I just don't want to be looking over my shoulder every day for 20 years, knowing that someone else would have done it right, done it better the way that I can't. What do I have that you don't? You're Mother Earth incarnate. You're hip and fresh. You ride with Anne. You'll learn. You know every story, every wound, every memory. life's happiness is wrapped up in you every single moment don't you get it <laughs> look down the road to her wedding I'm in a room alone with her 
fitting her veil, fluffing her dress, telling her no woman has ever looked that beautiful. And my fear is that she'll be thinking I wish my mom was here. And mine is she won't. But the truth is she doesn't have to choose. She can have us both. Love us both. And she will be a better person because of me. I mean, it's, it's riveting. I mean, you got to think about what's happening here. Moms, what they do is similar to what Paul was saying. Mom sacrifices their lives for their children, goes the extra mile, cares for the needs of her children. She's willing to give up her own pleasures so that her children can have. She's willing to give up whatever. If there's food there, she'll give it to her children. She'll stay up all Hours of the night to make sure that her child is okay. She'll commit herself to every bit of it, give everything less for herself and all for her children. She wants to be there for her children. The beauty of knowing that, and here was the thing, they came together and realized why the fighting and the bickering. We can, we can solve this by being gentle and loving, recognizing each other. Susan Sarandon, when she was playing that part, she was just simply saying, you know, at this particular point, you know, Susan Sarandon was like, I have that fear that they're going to forget me. I mean, can you imagine a mom who nursed her children, now she's terminally ill. She won't be able to see her child walk down the aisle. I mean, that's, the, that's how Paul envisioned these, these Thessalonians. He loved his people there in that church. He had a longing heart for them and affection for them. Look at verse 8. It says, so being affectionately desirous of you. I mean, that word means caring. There's a longing, a craving to want to be with those people, a, a joy. But he says this. He says, we were ready. You might, you might see we were well pleased or we were happy in your version. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. See, the idea of share in the Greek, it means to give a part of who you are. When you share, you share yourself. In relationship, that's what we do. We share who we are. We're to be gentle and affectionate and sharing. That's discipleship. We're supposed to do life whether we like it or not. It's a choice. In fact, in the Greek, it's not about feeling. It's about a choice. It's making a determinative choice saying, I will share my life because Christ shared his life with me. 
It's this beauty of knowing that you will give all. And when it says that I will give of my, all of myself, that word self is soul in the Greek. It's suke. That means giving not just your heart and your mind, or sometime it's giving everything because everything you give is because Christ gave everything to you. And see, so when we give of ourselves and we're gentle and we're affectionate because we've engaged with God and we've been empowered by God and we've been entrusted by God, then we're going to influence someone else when we do it in relationship. I don't know about you, but even Paul said it at that time. People, orders would come in the area and towns and try to speak, but they never engaged with the people. Paul's saying, I am not one of those. I'm going to engage in your life. Because your beloved, that word beloved in the Greek is, is a love that only God can give. Paul's saying, I'm going to give you the love that God gave me. I'm going to make a difference in your life because he made a difference in me. I don't know about you, but what gets me going is that when I first came to Christ, the church that received me loved on me. I was beloved by God because these people showed it to me. Today, I can tell you that there's a couple, Vito and Joanne Cluzio are my spiritual parents from 30 years ago from Stanford, Connecticut. I call her mom. She is a mom to me. In fact, a woman who, another woman I called mom, she led me to Christ. God used women in my life who were like moms to me because the relationship I had with my mom, it was, there was a barrier that she couldn't understand about the, the idea of Christianity. Even though she was walking with God through Catholic Church, she was struggling to understand it. She came to Christ. But at the initial point, God used even other women in my life who were like mother figures. And today, I have that still because I'm beloved by God and the love that they received from Christ, they gave it to me. And I'm just transferring it over to be influential in someone else's life. That's discipleship. That's what we are. We are Grace Church. We are influencers for the kingdom of God. We cannot influence anyone unless we're willing to be affectionate and whether we're willing to share our heart for God, sharing your life with others. That's what it takes. It's going to take that. Let me read to you first. Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says this, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. The love that existed with these folks, they were new, people knew that they were followers of Christ because they loved God and loved each other. They were influential with each other and they were becoming influential in the area around them. You know, we'll never be able to truly influence people in just position alone. We truly will not influence people on me just speaking here and I never talk to you. Thankfully, my engagement is just not talking to you. I come down, I try to engage with you in your lives. I'm not going to get to know every one of you, obviously. Pastor Dennis and I have talked about that, but we want to make sure that you're going to be equipped because that's what the ministry's for. But I sure enough can say hi to you, and you'll get to know a little bit about me up here. But I can tell you this, we'll never truly influence people without that. You know, even uh, John Maxwell said this, he goes, leadership has less to do with position than it does with disposition. Disposition is our character. When God changes us, we're going to change others. When God transforms us, we're going to be about transformation. When God influences us, we're going to be influencing others. And then he said this. I love this. Leadership is not about titles, positions, or flowcharts. It's about one life influencing another. So I say, who are you influencing? 
Who's in your life? Who are you discipling? Who are you making a difference? Whether it be someone at work, your neighborhood, and here in this room, you have an opportunity, and so do I. I want to encourage you this week. I want, to, I want you to just encourage you this week. I want you to take a moment, bow your heads as the worship team is coming up. I want to encourage you to think about what it means to influence the life of another. Because you and I can't do it if we're not being influenced by God. So I want you to bow your heads and just, as you close your eyes and you bow your heads, think of one person or pray for one person that God has for you. I don't know who that is. You don't even know who that is. That's okay. And let's pray. Father, today I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you've blessed us with mothers who have influenced our lives. I want to thank you that you've influenced our lives through your son. I want to thank you that you've used other believers in our lives that have influenced us. Now, Lord, I pray with all of that, would you please help us to find someone, one person that we can influence, someone we can disciple, someone we can be able to be a part of their lives and do life with them. Lord, we pray that today, that would be the day that you would encourage us. And Lord, as we do, may you, even as we're singing our last song, put someone in our heart and our mind today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.